Romans 5, verses 1 through 19. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Good morning, Marian Methodist, and welcome back to Church Online. This is our 10th Sunday of physical separation. Of course, we miss you uh, richly and deeply and hope to see you here. It was particularly uh, saddening on my heart to not be able to lay hands uh, on those seniors that you saw on the screens and saw their videos today. This is Senior Sunday. Kids know how much they, uh, their pastor loves them, so I put the full dog on today. Got the vest going and everything. Um, so certainly want to celebrate them. Also want to remind you that next week would normally be our celebration of Memorial. We will not be having that at this time. We're going to wait to celebrate and dedicate our gifts uh, this year uh, until we can be back together. I hope you see the sense uh, and the uh, intimate, loving nature of that. Uh, 
Now, I do want to invite you to the first live activity that we've had at REC Drive uh, at the church out here in a long time. It's going to happen this Saturday, May 23rd. Uh, we're going to start at 9.30 and go to 11.30. You're able on the east side of the church to come and be blessed, to receive Holy Communion. We have these sanitary communion kits. Maybe you've seen a picture of them uh, in the Marian Methodist. But come, uh, no human hand will touch them other than your own. But we will pray the hand of God touches them. On the west side, you're going to have the opportunity to give a blessing. So we're asking you to bring juice pouches uh, to donate to fly. We need thousands of them to give out this year in the sack lunches. And, and so we ask you to bring them there. And there's also going to be a sign-up sheet out there. That's this Saturday morning. And now the moment's come uh, for us to engage ourselves in the Word in a deep way. Uh, will you let your heart collect with mine? May we pray. Oh God, as I speak these words today, though there is not a single soul in the congregation of seats that is in front of us, there are thousands, maybe more, in the congregation of screens and phones and all that listening today. So God, we ask that when I speak, your word of truth may be revealed in this particular sermon, that as we plumb into the ideal of your truth, which is binary, it is not subjective, that we understand that there are timeless things that come across our lives, and those are represented by your truth, and there are trending things that just happen in our generation. Let us see in this talk today and in our very living the permanent nature of you, our God, that binds us to eternity. And Lord God, we affiliate our lives with you and your truth and allow us to live in your will. Amen. Sin, sin, sin. We start today with a simple question, what is original sin? It's pretty simple, and it doesn't take us long in the biblical story to understand what sin is. It's right there in page 3. In Genesis 3, you find Adam and Eve, who had just recently been developed, in the garden. And the serpent, as you know the story, comes to Eve and says, uh, what, what's God said to you? And, and Eve says, we can have it all. We can have everything that there is. God's given all this for us. He says, everything? Well, everything except the one tree that's right in the middle of the garden. But it's only the one tree. And Satan says, oh, God doesn't want you to have that because you're going to know more than he wants you to know. You're going to have discernment beyond what he wants you to uh, discern. And, and Eve wanted that God-like wisdom. So she reached out, she plucked the fruit, and she took a bite of it. And her mind was open to wisdom and knowledge. Now remember, Adam is a guy. So when he came by, Eve says, we should eat of this. And he's like, sure. He takes a bite. And there it all begins. That is original sin, the description of original sin, because there is an origin to sin. It starts right there. That's where it starts. That, that's where the fractured, pure relationship of love and adoration with God begins to happen. You all know how this, you've seen this in your own lives, you know, a little simple example. Um, you've all had this where you're driving down the highway and, you know, in Iowa, there's only two seasons, winter and road repair. So during the road repair season, you're driving down the road and a rock comes flying off that work truck in front of you, 
hits your windshield and you're like, ah, oh, darn. And just down there in the corner, there's a little star, just a little tiny star. And we know there's chemicals and whatnot that can help those repair right now. But we know that, that if we do anything practically between when we get the star and when we get it fixed, if that doesn't happen almost immediately, we know it's going to happen. We're going to shut the car off. And then the sun of the day is going to heat that window up. And when we turn the air conditioning off, it's going to or the opposite in the winter. We've all seen it happen. We've all had that happen to our window. That little tiny crack, that little tiny brokenness, which is the origin of the demise of your windshield, is very similar to the origin of sin. You see, Adam and Eve started the crack. They were the, the little star piece in, in humanity that could have been perfect, but that their lives touch us all because they put themselves above God's wishes in their relationship with God. And because Adam disobeyed God's command, the judgment of both the spiritual and the physical fell on him and all of his descendants. And all of us, by the way, are of the same DNA as humanity. So all that falls on us. Thus, all human beings have two characteristics in common. We are all sinners, and we shall all die. And this is not the original intent of God, but it is the result when sin entered the world. The origin of sin means simply, though we made no conscious choice of disobedience. You and I, we didn't come into the world and say, you know, in our pampers diaper, oh, I'm going to be a disobedient child. That's not how it goes. Through, through no conscious choice of our own, we're born into a broken relationship of God because of that origin, that, that move by Adam and Eve long ago. So we are, in the terms of this absolute word, we are born sinful. And in sin, we see that there's a deep rupture between who we are and who we're created to be. So, biblically, and when we talk about the doctrine of original sin, sin, sin comes into the world through one man. Adam is its origin, therefore, there is original sin. So then, of course, uh, you know, your friend on the street or other Christians say, why did, why did God not prevent the, the entry of sin into the world? Well, let me explain it very cleanly and simply. God did not prevent sin from entering the world because that would have prevented freedom. See, there is this love of freedom that is the character of God, this love of freedom that God desires to bestow upon us, the freedom and ability to be and to aspire and to create who we are and what we want to be and what we want to do. And there's also this freedom of love that God desires to be reciprocal, that, that, that God loves us completely and fully, and he gives us ability to love him back in return. Human freedom has created so many wonderful things, which is why God given it, gave it to us. And it also created sins. Now, if we look at sin, we can see that there's two main strains of sin created by humanity. First, original sin that inflicts everyone. We've talked a little bit about that. And frankly, and this is part of the hard part of being a human being, we have no power against original sin. It's become our condition. Our condition is that we're estranged from God because we have this, this original stain on our character, and God then made us mortal, so we have death. That inflicts everyone. Now, 
The second strain of, of sin that we also created is what we call willful sin. Those are the things you, you choose, the, the unethical acts that separate us from God. These are generated from our own little weird inclinations, the things that we like to do. The things when, kind of in the words of Eve, we look at what, that, what causes us to sin or the things that interest or that we're inclined to, and we say, but it's just one tree. It's, it's just no big deal. It's just that thing. And we always know we're wrong. That's the one thing about sin. When we sin, we always know that we are wrong. And we have complete authority over these willful sins. While we have no authority over original sin, we have complete authority over our willful sins. Our faith and our strength of character can cut them off. And that's why God doesn't prevent sins. Now, why is it important for Christians to believe in original sin? Well, the, the, let me background this with the leader of, United, of Methodism, John Wesley. John Wesley preached some things, and I'm going to work through them, and this is going to get a little bit thick here. In the image of God was man-made. Holy as he is created, him holy. Merciful as the author of all is merciful. Perfect as his Father in heaven is perfect. As God is love, so man dwelling in love dwelt in God and God in him. So let me explain what you're looking at on the screen. The environment was made holy for love. When God created, it was created for love, not discord, not pain, not tears, not frustration. Holy means holy. Merciful means merciful. Perfect means absolutely that. But John Wesley goes on and preaches this. God made him to be an image of his own eternity, an incorruptible picture of the glory of God. He was accordingly pure, as God is pure, from every spot and sin. He knew not evil in any kind or degree, but was inwardly and outwardly sinless and undefiled. Let me explain what you're looking at. We begin completely clean, our souls are pristine and perfect. They are bright, as my father used to say, as the driven so snow. And we are granted the ability, listen to this, the ability and the opportunity to keep them clean as long as we live. That which is clean and given to us as clean can be kept clean. And Wesley concludes by saying, he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul. See, and strength. You see, in the creation, Adam and God were in perfect synchronicity with each other. Adam and God were in this intimate relationship that should not have been broken because God and Adam were in concert with each other. They were in communication with each other every day. They stood face to face with any, any, each other. And that kind of an intimate relationship need not be broken, but... Adam broke it. So Wesley described the creation of humanity in God's image, and he uses these three categories. And I want you to hear this, how God creates us, and kind of what he gives us. First, um, we are created in the natural image of God, which is to say, in God's original plan, we are blessed with immortality, which means we need not die, and we're given free will to do and be and aspire to whoever it is and whatever we want to aspire to. Secondly, we are created in the political image of God. Now, don't think of that as red and blue politics. Don't think of that as Democrat and Republican politics. Think of it in this way. The political image is that human, humans 
were made to govern the lower creatures. That's why it says we have dominion over them. We are the leaders of all creation, which is why we're responsible for it. But we govern all the beings that are lower than humanity, that are without souls, without connection and consciousness of God. And God, when God creates us, he creates, Wesley sees that he creates us in the, in the moral image of God. Now, this is really critical. Humans are created in holiness and righteousness. Humans are created to be loving and just and merciful and pure. And what Adam did there in the garden is Adam lost through his betrayal the moral image of God. You see, we were to resemble God the older I get and the longer I'm in Marion, it always cracks me up when I'll meet someone that went to high school at Marion High from, you know, back in the 60s through the 70s. They'll come up to me and say, man, you look just like your dad. And I had someone call the other day say, man, when you make those motions in class, you look just like your dad when he was teaching at, at, at Vernon or at the high school. So we resemble that from which we come. And we are to resemble God. That is to say, we are to look like God. We have eternal personalities that look like the holy God. That is the one thing that is constant within us, our eternal personality that looks like the holy God. And we are different than, which is why we resemble God, we are different than the rest of, uh, of creation because we are known by God individually and specifically. And individually and specifically, we can know God. We can have this relationship. So we were to resemble God and we we're also to represent God. Now, when you represent someone, that means you're present sometimes in the place of. You are a person that speaks on behalf of or, or participates on behalf of. Years ago, when I began my ministry in Colorado Springs, we had kind of a famous evangelist living there in Colorado Springs named Ed Beck. He played for uh, Adolph Rupp at the University of Kentucky, won a couple of national championships in basketball. So people were always calling him to... to uh, come and speak at various things. And I can remember as time went on, Ed Beck, I, I always say that he helped me pay my seminary tuition because he would call on a couple of us younger pastors and say, hey, would you represent me at, at this uh, event and go give a little talk? And so we would do our best, not our best Ed Beck in, impersonation, but we would go and preach the gospel in the way that we felt that Ed always did. So we were representatives of him. When we look at the global picture of humanity, and we are to represent God, what that simply means is that we are to be the hands and feet of God on this earth. We are not God, and we are to embody God's will and his purpose for the world in our living. We're to bestow some of the personality traits that God has. We're supposed to be forgiving. We're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to offer redemption to others because this is what God does. So I ask the questions, why do Christians need original sin? Christians need to believe in original sin because... This we know. The world is hopelessly broken. And the way we see the world right now is not the way God intended it to be. The Christian believes that there's a way out because we believe that God is love. You see, this is what we know about God. And this is what we know about love. Love seeks the well-being of the beloved. We don't seek the extinction of the beloved. And so we say, is there a way out? Is there a way out of original sin? Yes, there is, but there's just one. Just one way out. 1 Timothy 15, chapter 1, verse 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
Understand this. When Adam was in the garden and he was faced with temptation, he simply acted, my will be done. When Christ was in a different garden centuries later and the hard temptation came to him, he simply looked to heaven and said, Father, thy will be done. That is why we can put our trust in him. In Romans 5, verse 6, it says, At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The right time simply means this, that God is li- who lives before, in, and after time. He lives before time, in time, and after time. Determines that in human history, and coupled with his plan of salvation, so human history coupled with his plan of salvation, that the moment was right, so he came in Jesus Christ. And it says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And Paul is completely clear about who Christ died for. Note how he replaces the ungodly. Look at uh, verse 8, two sentences after what I just read a moment ago. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners Christ died, it doesn't say for the ungodly, it says for us. So ungodly and us are the same. Is that clear enough? Is that crystal clear enough for you? Christ died for us. He he died for you. He died for me. He died for them. Christ is the way out of original sin. Christ is the way out of original sin. Adam determines the character of this world. Christ determines the character of eternity. The gift from God has a greater but opposite effect than the trespasses of Adam and its consequences. So as John Calvin, the great reformer, wrote, Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam was to destroy. So let me take you this home. Christ is the way out of original sin. There is a choice. It's always before us. If we do nothing, we have death through Adam. If we come to God by faith, we have life through Jesus Christ. One, 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, therefore all of what I just said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, that's sin, and the new has come, and that is salvation. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is available, and it's always a choice. It's never forced upon you. You're never coerced to receive it. It's a choice. We inherit as we are born the guilt as a child of Adam. And the tendency of our character when left to our own devices, when we say, let my will be done, is to sin. And because of that, if we get what we deserve, we deserve God's punishment. But God, at just the right time, incarnates in Jesus, providing us an opportunity to exchange judgment for forgiveness, sin for goodness. And so what ultimately happens in that moment, when we choose Christ, we are adopted out of one family, the family of Adam, and into the family line that begins with forgiveness and ends with eternal life. My prayer is that you will be adopted into that family. My prayer is that you would receive that forgiveness that only God can give. My prayer is that after hearing what you just heard, you say, praise the Lord.
Every week at Marian Methodist, we take a moment in our worship, even when we're not present together. We at Marian Methodist give gifts to participate in God's work of redemption across the world. We give to the richness of our ability. We give liberally, and we give faithfully. So as the music plays, I encourage you to pray the dedication of your offering. 